So we're talking about Apocalypto. And in the opening scene, um, they're raided by these group of people. And then the, the, uh, all the men, I mean, all the, the warriors are killed. And then the rest are sort of captured and they're taken away. This was a constant threat all the time. And the only safety, the only security is a wall, right? And of course, because of the sort of the dynamics of a wall, logistics of a wall, you can't have this sprawling settlement. The wall has to be this tight circle, right? Because it's just so difficult to maintain and build a wall. So everyone has to live packed in. In fact, um, ancient historians say that the population density <coughs> inside these um, ancient cities is greater than that, like three or, or four times greater than that of modern-day Hong Kong or Singapore. Okay, so they, and they didn't have the benefit of 50-story, 100-story buildings, right? So these are super dense, super packed places. And therefore, you have all of these emerging qualities that come out when everyone's living right on top of each other. And so let me just run through three of them. Number one, cities were places of safety and stability, right? So um, again, you, you don't have to constantly worry about being killed by these uh, marauding bands. And therefore, you have some semblance of regularity and, and peace. And therefore, a, a systems of law and order were allowed to develop. Because if you live in a village or if you live out you know, just by yourself, and you commit some crime, you kill somebody, they're going to take blood vengeance on you. They're going to come after you. But if you live in a city, you have law courts and systems, right? In fact, um, in the city, there was something called a city gate. And that's where all the elders and that's where the judicial system ran, right? And so you see that, for example, in Numbers 35. The city shall be for you a refuge from the avenger, that the manslayer may not die until he stands before the congregation for judgment. Cities were particular <laughs> places where you can stand, where you can seek um, refuge and where you can uh, stand trial. Uh, number two, emerging quality of cities. Cities were places of diversity. Because of the security of cities, uh, it made them welcoming to minority groups. If you're in a village and you stand out, you're going to get picked on or persecuted or killed. Right? So villages were very homogenous. And therefore, if you are a minority ethnic group or something, cities were very welcoming places because of the stability and the law and order that they offered you. This is true of modern cities today, right? When an immigrant comes to America, do they go live out in a farming village in, in Nebraska? No. They go to one of the major cities of America, right? Because you have all kinds of different kinds of people, and so you can find your own and sort of have shelter, right? Cities are where um, other minority groups like gays, artists, they all live in cities, right? They don't live in villages or, or towns because you get picked on. Um, and so you have this rich cultural diversity, and you see that in Acts 13. This is about the city of Antioch. Now there were in the, in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, uh, Menaean, a member of the court of Herod and the Tetrarch, and Saul. And uh, just uh, to let you know, like Niger means black. So Simeon was most likely black. <laughs> Cyrene, right? Lucius of Cyrene, that's a province in North Africa. So you have the two people who are Africans. Barnabas, is, uh, uh, Barnabas and Saul are <laughs> Jews living among the Greeks. And so you have Greeks, Jews, um, blacks, Africans, all living together. You can only get that in a city. You can't get that anywhere else, right? Uh, third emerging quality, cities were places of greater productivity and creativity. Um, cities allowed for the exchange of ideas, 
collaboration, specialization. Um, basically, when you're in a village, everyone sort of has to make their own clothes. <laughs> everyone has to uh, cook their own food. Everyone has to sort of be a generalist. But in a city, because of the density, because of the pooling of talent, you can specialize. And not only that, not only when you specialize, you start to interact with other creative people, right? Anyone who works in San Francisco knows this. There are benefits and values. Like, why, why don't we all just telecommute? Because when you're with other smart, creative people, you get all these ideas sparking, and innovation happens, and creativity happens, right? And so we see this, for example, in Genesis chapter 4. Let me read it for you. Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. When he built a city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son. We'll talk about that later, Enoch. Verse 20. Ada bore Jabal. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all those who played a lyre and pipe. Zillah also bore Tubal Cain. He was the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. So you see all of these um, technologies, uh, uh, um, knowledge, right, of husband, animal husbandry, music, uh, metallurgy, all these things emerge only when cities happen. You can't have it when everyone's all spread out, when everyone's in villages, all right? So these are the special qualities that city gives us that village does not. And therefore, now we're ready to understand why uh, city is such a special category in the Bible. Because the city, what the city has that the village does not or the countryside does not <coughs> is humanity, right? A mass of humanity. Everyone just smushed together. And that's the goal of redemption. Um, and so we're going to go through uh, each of these phases in uh, the story of redemption. And we're gonna, I'm going to show you how it, the story develops. So in Eden, in the Garden of Eden, you see this mandate to build a city. This may surprise a lot of you because uh, you think, where do we see that? So let me just read it to you. Um, there, God commands Adam and Eve to build a city. Genesis 1. Well, let's just have Neiman read this. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to well, them. Let me, well, actually, let me just stop right there. So first thing is what? He creates um, humanity in the image of God. Okay, this is very important. The Imago Dei. So humanity is supposed to image God, imitate God. And what is God? What do we know about God? from the creation account. What does he do for the first six days? Works. He works. He creates. Right? We, we, can we not say that God is the most creative being? Right? Um, he has this in, enormous productive capacity to build, create. And therefore, to image God is to be like him in that, in that way. Keep, let's keep reading. 28. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish, and the, the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Yeah, so first of all, he says, Be fruitful and multiply. So Adam and Eve were not supposed to just like be this couple together for the rest of their lives, but they were supposed to have children, and their children were supposed to have children. So they were supposed to increase in number, and so, what is a city but a whole bunch of people, right? And not only that, um, it says that they were to fill the earth, subdue it, and have dominion over nature, right? 
And so they were not supposed to just simply be caretakers of the garden, but they were supposed to develop the garden. They were supposed to build it up and have dominion. And ultimately, um, a lot of theologians uh, uh, discuss this, that the goal was to build a, a, a city. So here's the garden. And they were supposed to develop and multiply, have dominion, until they reach a city, the city of God. That was the mandate. That was the commission given to Adam and Eve at the very beginning. Um, in fact, New Jerusalem, right? Um, if that seems a little bit speculative to you, all you have to do is go to the end of the Bible. What is the story at the end of the Bible? Um, it's New Jerusalem. And do you guys remember what is distinctive about New Jerusalem? There's some distinctive aspects about New Jerusalem. In the middle of the city is what? Anyone remember? Distinctive features. Huh? A tree, right? There's the tree of life. The trees are for the, the leaves are for the healing of the nations. There's a river that runs through the middle of the city, right? So, it's not just, you know, when we think city, we think what? I don't know, maybe we think this ugly urban landscape, right? But if you read the description of the New Jerusalem, it's a garden city. So they were supposed to develop Eden into this beautiful garden city, right? That's the ultimate goal. That's the ultimate destination. But Adam and Eve rebelled against God, and therefore this did not happen, and instead the fall occurred, and so what we have then is the city of man. So the, the story of the city is this. Here's the mandate to build the city in Eden. They fall, and instead they build the city of man. But then in redemption, through uh, uh, in Abraham, God promises a city, a city of God, and then in, um, in the resurrected world, we actually have New Jerusalem. So this is the story arc of the Bible, right? This should seem very familiar to you, because this is, in fact, the story of, right, of our redemption, of, of our salvation. So let's go on to the next point. Well, let me just stop right there, because perhaps you feel like, hmm, any questions or comments about... <laughs> what we've looked at so far. All right, let's bravely forge, <laughs> move forward, um, forge ahead. All right, so the city of man. Okay, so what is what? What makes the difference between a city and anything else is you have a concentration of humanity, and therefore, what the city does is the city amplifies whatever humanity is capable of. Right? If you have one image of God, they can, he can only do so much. If you have a thousand images of God, they can do far more. Right? It's, it's called an emergent quality. The sum is greater than the whole. But what amplifies the possibility of good can amplify also the evil possibilities. Right? And so instead of having a mass of images of God, obeying God, loving God, glorifying God, building up the civilization, cultivating, uh, ma uh, what is it, having dominion over the world, instead what do you have? You have a bunch of evil, broken, fallen images 
clump together, and then what do you have? You have humanity more capable of evil than if he were just by himself, right? Does that make sense? So this is exactly what we see. The city is an amplifier of, 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 of sin. Uh, Genesis chapter 4, can I have uh, Lisa read that? Then he went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Wait, so just the context, this is right after the fall, right? Cain uh, uh, is the son of Adam and Eve, and so he, he um, let's, see, let's find out what happens. Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. When he built a city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son Enoch. Yeah, so let me stop there. So he built a city, but he names the city after his son. Um, this is a very, very pregnant phrase to name something after something. Um, in the Old Testament, uh, to name something is to assign and ascribe um, worth and glory. And so what you're saying is this is what is most important. This is what is most significant. And he names it after essentially himself, right? Um, and therefore, this is a city of self-glory, of independence from God. Rather than naming the city after God or bearing the name of God, it's, a, it's, a, it's an act of rebellion, an act of independence. So let's keep reading this. And then let's find out what happens in this city of self-glory. 18? Enoch was born Erad, and Erad fathered Methusiel, and Methusiel fathered Methusiel, and Methusiel fathered Lamech. Lamech said to his wives, uh, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice. See wives of Lamech, listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. Yeah, so what is the character of the city of man? It's revenge, bloodlust, um, pride. And then we see the city of man continue to develop. Uh, Genesis 11. Um, Chelsea, can you read that? Then they said, come, let Oh, me let go. me stop right there, sorry. So, so they built, a, a Cain builds a city, right? Cain builds a city. And then later on, the people build a city called Babel. Um, Babel is, is, in the Bible, a synonym to Babylon, right? So these are the dual names, in particular, that describe the city of man, right? So they build a city called Babel. Babel, in Hebrew, simply means the gate to God, but keep going. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves. Let's stop right there. You see that, that pregnant phrase again, right? What is the purpose and meaning and significance of this city? Self-glory, right? And actually, if we could just pause right here, we still see this today. The city of man, the purpose of it, all of its endeavors and labors and creativity is not to glorify God, but it's self-glory, self-salvation, uh, uh, self right? People are trying to make a name for themselves rather than being obedient to God. Keep going. Lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Yes. And then let's skip all the way to Revelation. Anytime you do biblical theology, you're just bouncing from Revelation to Genesis, right? <laughs> Ashley, can I, have, can I have you read the two Revelation passages? Fallen, fallen is Babylon the Great, she who made all nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. Keep going. Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations. Yeah, and in the book of Revelation, when it's, it's, it's showing us this cosmic war, and anytime it shows us this cosmic war and it depicts uh, the forces of evil, right, the, the, the forces aligned against God, it's a city, right, and it's part in particular the city of Babylon which is arrayed against God. It's a city of, of, of violence, uh, immorality, 
um, evil, right? And 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 <clears throat> I think that's really important because it's it's not like okay, you know, the mandate was to build a city, so people rebelled by not building a city. No, they built the city, which is actually good for the flourishing of humanity, but then they twisted it and used it for for evil for their own purposes, right? Okay, let's go. Any, any questions, by the way? All right, so that's the city of man. Now we come to the promise of, of redemption. And it's interesting, God does not say, because you know, when we think of the city, right? Um, uh, I just actually read a book about the tenderloin. Has anyone been to the tenderloin? I've never been to the tenderloin. So I was, as I was reading, I was like, oh, wow, it sounds so sketchy. And <laughs> um, I mean, so like, maybe we have this image of the city as this very dangerous place. I, I lived in Oakland for a long time. And you shouldn't walk around at night, right? And, um, or in certain parts. And so we think, oh, city is just this menacing, evil, dark place. It's where all the degenerates and the weirdos go to live, right? Um, but notice that God pictures our salvation as a city. It's not the bucolic countryside. It's not a cottage in the woods where we sort of have a river ro running through and just by yourself and the birds are chirping. But it's a city. We're supposed to go to a city. So let's, where are we now? Derek, can I have you read Hebrews 11? For Abraham was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Yeah. When God calls Abraham uh, out of Ur to go to the promised land, that he's going to rescue and redeem the world through Abraham's family, Abraham understood all along, even though he himself was never a dweller in a city. He was always a nomad. He was always outside the city gates, right? But... Abraham always knew that it was a city. God was calling him to the city, this, this uh, garden city that was, that was mandated to Adam and Eve. That God, finally, Adam and Eve were supposed to build the city, and now God says, you failed. You've sinned and rebelled against me. Now I will build you a city. That's what grace means. That's salvation. So Abraham was going to a city. Psalm 107. Tommy, can you read that for us? Some wandered in uh, desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of men. For he satisfies the longing soul, and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Yeah, so I think uh, Psalm 107 is very interesting. The imagery given to us, what is salvation? Psalmist says, imagine that you're out in the wilderness. Um, and the wilderness is, is this terrible place. It's this howling uh, landscape in which there's no sustenance. There's no food. There's no company. There's no um, uh, livelihood. And you're searching and you're longing. And what is refuge? What is sort of like you're rescued is when you come into a city, right? And, and, and that's the image of salvation throughout the Bible, um, and we see that explode, particularly during um, the, the, the Kingdom of Israel period, right? Because actually, if you, it's really interesting. If I had the time, we can really go into this in much more depth. But in Genesis, a city kind of has a negative view. Because do you guys remember Lot, right? Um, at one point, Lot, which is a nephew of Abraham, um, God says to Lot, uh, or not God says to Lot, but Abraham says to Lot, you know, we're, we're bickering, we're fighting, let's part ways, let's, you know, let's, Let's go in different directions. And then Lot looks out at the landscape. And do you guys remember wh which way he goes? He goes towards Sodom, right? He's like, ah, oh, there's this attractive city. 
But Sodom is the city of man. So he goes inside and he dwells inside the city of man. And then his whole family becomes corrupted, right? Um, and so uh, throughout Genesis, city has kind of a very negative tone to it. Um, because it's always a city of man. And finally, but, but the city of God is promised. And finally, in the kingdom of God, I mean, sorry, in the kingdom of Israel, it's finally realized. They finally get their city, which is what? Let's read Deuteronomy 12, uh, Harry. Uh, but you shall seek the place that the Lord your God will choose out of all your tribes to put his name and make his habitation there. All right. This is so significant. Uh, I tried to keep everything in two pages, so I actually cut out a lot. But... <laughs> In the Torah, right, um, through Moses, God promises his people that there will be a place. And this place God will choose, and God will put his name on that place. And he will dwell with his people in this place. And what is this place, right? Uh, Jeff, can you read First Kings? Jerusalem, the city that the Lord has chosen out of all, tri all the tribes of Israel to put his name there. Yes. This is so significant. Finally, it's revealed. What is this city that God has promised his people? It's Jerusalem, right? God puts his name on that city. Unlike the city of man, which is, uh, let's make a name for ourselves. God's name is here. God dwells with his people. Because if you, if you know the city of Jerusalem, what's the, what's the most significant thing in Jerusalem? Temple, right? So there's a temple, right? And what does the temple represent? This is my <coughs> rendering of the temple. I think it's quite. There's the court. I think it's quite accurate. What's what does the temple represent? Because <laughs> you guys are making fun, I'm gonna draw pillars. There we go. Now that makes it even better. Um, what does the temple represent? God's presence. God's presence. God's <laughs> dwelling with His people in Jerusalem. <laughs> Hey, here's a hand up. Um, I've lost my train of thought. Oh, yes. Right? Jerusalem. Jerusalem is finally the place. And not everyone can dwell in Jerusalem, right? Um, in fact, 95% of the population of Israel did not live in Jerusalem. But the people are commanded three times a year to come to these feasts and festivals to stream into the city of Jerusalem at the temple to worship God, to gather together as a people. Did you know that the city of Jerusalem was estimated to be about 20,000 people? But during these feasts and festivals, the city swelled to one million, right? And it's crazy. I don't even know how, what is that a scale of? Like 50 to one? Who can do math very quickly? Huh? 50 to one? Yeah. That's insane, right? Imagine, like you have a house, of two people, let's say you and your wife are living there, and then a hundred of your cousins come over, can we stay with you? Uh, sure. But the city of Jerusalem swelled to this enormous number, and during these feasts and festivals, you had a glimpse, you had a picture of that promise, of the final reality, of the people of God gathered together. It's a city of joy, it's a city, right? Jerusalem, is there a city of Shalom in here, um, where they're worshiping God, the name of God is there. Uh, Isaiah 126. Ezra, can I have you read that? That's in the second page. 
Uh, top right column, third verse down. Sorry, which which one? Uh, Isaiah one twenty six. Okay, uh, you should be, you shall be called the city of righteousness, the faithful city. Yeah, it's really an amazing statement. This is the city of righteousness. It's the city of God's people, and you have to understand though that all along people knew. I mean, was Abraham looking forward to Jerusalem? The answer is yes and no. Because Jerusalem is a down payment. It was never the full reality. Of course, what happens to Jerusalem in the end of the story, at least in the end of the Old Testament story? Harry, what happens? Because you giggle. Giggle means you have to speak. <laughs> bad, bad things happen. <laughs> what, what kind of bad things happen? Uh, yeah, the city is sacked. Yeah. Do you know what sack means? It's a terrible, terrible thing. It's when these, this thing right here called the wall is breached. I love the Lord of the Rings, right? <laughs> if uh, in, in the final movie, right, there's this incredible wall. I mean, when you first see the city, you're like, oh, this city cannot be breached. This is, it's an impenetrable city. And when the walls are breached, you're like, no, right? <laughs> How could this be possible? That's exactly what happens to the city of God. The walls are breached. And who breaches the walls? It's Babylon, the Babylonians, the city of man. Right? These evil hordes come and destroy the temple and destroy the city of God. And so the city of God, Jerusalem, was never the final reality. It was always a picture. It was always a promise of the future reality, which is New Jerusalem. Any questions there um, before we go on? All right. Last point. Uh, how does the story end? New creation. New Jerusalem, the heavenly city of God. Let's read Revelation 21. Where are we? Neiman, can you, can you read that? And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. Yeah, let, let me just stop right there. Um, you have to remember that uh, in the garden, Adam and Eve walked with God. It was a place of fellowship and communion with God. And when they rebelled, they were expelled from His presence. But what is redemption but that God will dwell with His people? But notice that the vision isn't simply that they're back in a garden. Right? It's not, I mean, to some degree, you know, like we think, oh, um, um, you know, sort of in the modern world, in the modern conception, I don't know, have you, have, have you ever heard of like movements called zero population growth movements? Or Has anyone? Am I the only one that reads this kind of weird literature? But there are actually movements where people say, let's stop having children, right? And, and, or, or keep our population growth down in a downward trajectory because too many people are overweighting the, the environment. It's just impacting the environment of the earth, right? Um, but the Bible actually has this glorious vision not of we're going to return to this, like for example, Pandora, and not Pandora. What's the, what's the movie um, with Pandora in it? The blue people? Avatar, right? <laughs> right? Avatar is a perfect image of what a lot of people see as paradise, right? right? It's, there's, there's not a city, but everyone's just living with one in harmony with nature, right? And, and, and you link your hair up with trees. But the, the biblical image of the final beautiful picture of redemption is humanity mushed together. Um, 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 all compacted and, and, and built up together. And I think that actually really resonates with us, right? Um, 
I think all of us experience loneliness. And what is the answer to loneliness? It's community. It's being with other people. And we will have that in perfection in the New Jerusalem. God will dwell among <coughs> us in this city. Where did that guy just went off on this huge tangent? <laughs> Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. Keep going, Neiman. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore. <coughs> for the former things have passed away. Yeah. Um, <coughs> our future redemption, our future salvation is New Jerusalem. It's this mega city where we'll all dwell with God together. Um, Revelation 22, uh, Lisa. And the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also, on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kings of fruit, kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Yeah. So notice it's a combination. It's an, a garden city. Right? The garden element, it's not like, it's like, it's not like Terminator where like, you know, this, this desolate, you know, burnt out urban landscape where there's no green things, right? But um, it's a city, it's a garden city, um, it's this beautiful uh, 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 final destination where all the elements of the garden is kept, but the garden is built up. It's a city as well as a garden, right? Okay, so that's the lesson. That's a biblical theology of city. Any questions before we go to the last and final point? There must be one point, one question. Anything? All right, then let me close by asking how then shall we live? <coughs> so um, the answer is we are citizens of God's city, but resident aliens of the city of man. So let me quickly summarize what this means. Um, when the Bible, when Paul uses the word citizen, uh, for example, in Philippians, he says we're citizens of heaven, right? What do we think in terms of citizen? It means um, that that's where we belong. Like if you're a citizen of the United States and you're living in Guatemala or something, you're going to, that's your home and you're going to go back eventually to America, right? It's kind of the idea. And so a lot of times people say, oh, we're citizens of heaven. Earth is not our home. We're going to go back to heaven. That's not how citizenship worked in the ancient world. In the ancient world, right, um, here's Italy, <laughs> here's, here's Greece, and here's the Mediterranean world, right? All right, I'm sorry, that's a terrible drawing. But okay, so here's Rome, right? Now, you can be a citizen of Rome and live somewhere else. And what happens is, in the ancient world, um, Rome would grow in population. It would just be too many people. So they would cleave off and they would send a colony. So you would form a colony, like right here. And you're, while you live here, you're actually still citizens of Rome, meaning you belong there, you have all the rights. Um, that is your, your, your character, your name is, of, you're a Roman, but you've planted a colony. And this is like wilderness, or this is like barbarian land. It's like foreign territory. But you've taken a bit of Rome and you've plotted it down here. And what is your goal? Is to make the whole land Rome's. Does that make sense? That's how citizenship works. Now, here's earth, here's heaven. 
We're citizens of heaven, meaning heaven is the realm of God, right? We belong to heaven. That's our home, so to speak. That's where we're from. That's where we get our character. But we're, we planted a colony on earth, right? And our goal is not to sort of like bide our time and then get back to heaven. It's to take earth for heaven. Does that make sense? We're citizens um, and, and we're, we've planted a colony, right? Um, and then we're resident aliens. That's another uh, concept that you see all throughout the New Testament. Um, a resident alien is someone who lives in a city but doesn't have citizenship in that city, meaning they're not, um, they don't have, uh, 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 they're not of the city, they're not part of the city, they're not, they're not of the city, they don't belong to the city, but they live there on a permanent basis, right? Kind of like an immigrant. And so Christians are called, so, so okay, so this is all chaotic, but let me, let me try to summarize it. So what does that mean? All right, so there are two cities. The city of God, right, which is what? New Jerusalem, all right? And there's the city of man. So Christians are citizens of the city of God, but we planted a colony, a little subversive uh, community inside the city of man. And we don't belong to the city of man, but we live in the city of man. And we're taking over, right? And, and, and look at the way that we're supposed to relate to the city of man. We're not supposed to say, we're not supposed to say, oh, ugh, city of man, get away, evil, keep away. Listen to what the prophet Jeremiah writes. Uh, let me just set up the context of Jeremiah 29. Uh, this is after the sack of Jerusalem. Babylon has taken um, the citizens of Jerusalem into exile, into Babylon. And the Jews in Babylon write to the prophet Jeremiah and say, what, what, how shall we live? What shall we do? And Jeremiah says, it's going to be 70 years. And don't just sort of live like apart, but settle down, get comfortable. Not get comfortable, but I mean... Um, Engage in the life of the city. So where are we? Ashley, can I have you read Jeremiah 29? Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Yeah, I mean, I don't think you guys understand how crazy this is. This is Babylon. This is the ultimate sort of archetype city of man. This is the evil city. City of the conquerors. Verse 5. What are we supposed to do in this evil city? Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, that they may bear sons and daughters, multiply there, and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare you will find your welfare. Yeah. We're supposed to settle down, establish roots, build houses, Take wives. Neiman is doing that. Have sons and daughters. We're supposed to multiply, right? We're supposed to continue to move towards the, the, the goal, New Jerusalem. And verse 7, we're supposed to seek the welfare of the city. The word welfare there in the original Hebrew is the word shalom. We're supposed to seek the prosperity, the well-being, the flourishing of the city of man and pray for that city. <coughs> and so what does it mean to be a Christian? It means to be dual citizenship, right? <coughs> to, we're not using citizen in, in the New Testament sense. We're, 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 we belong to the city of God. That is our identity and our, and our character. But we live in the city of man. 
and we're for the city of man. We bless the city of man. We help. We, we contribute to its well-being. And one day, and we're a colony. We're a colony sent from heaven. And one day, according to Revelation, what's going to happen? The city of God is going to come down and it's going to merge with earth. It's going to marry earth so that uh, we're not going to escape up to heaven, but heaven will come down and it'll be a new Jerusalem, a new creation, new heavens and new earth. So that's the reality. Any questions? Yes, Ezra. Uh, this is more like contextual. Yes. Um, where does the view that uh, the city of God and the city of man is separate and mm -hmm. there's no convergence, where does that view come from? Because uh, that's what I grew up on. Yeah. It, is this the more traditional view that got lost and is like revamped? Um, this idea of the city of God and the city of man actually comes from Augustine. No, I mean, um, more specifically that um, we're here and we're just biding our time until we go to heaven. Like, this is not our place. Oh, where did that come from? Yeah, that lack of, you know, that view. That sort of like, um, you know, uh, I guess <coughs> historically speaking, it came, it, it, it came out of what's called a modernist fundamentalist debate. I don't know if you've heard of this. No. Okay, so a little bit of history. <laughs> Um, what happened was, um, in, in the United States, right, in the mid-1800s, so this is about 150 years ago, um, there started to develop this controversy having to do with evolution, right, I don't know if you guys heard of the Scopes Monkey Trial, but basically, it was just this general view that science and sophistication means that the Bible is not true. Any good-thinking Christian will realize that you can't take the Bible literally and so forth and all that. And so then there developed kind of two split camps in Christianity. One camp was sort of the liberal camp that says, well, we got to accommodate and embrace the new ideas. And the other camp retreated backwards, and they were called the fundamentalists. And, and they basically said, well, we, they embraced literalism, and then it started to become super literalism. This is where dispensationalism came out of. And a lot of like the, uh, the, the, the evangelical church today arose out of those roots. And it was really sociologically, like, the city was a hostile place. It was the academia, it's the elites, it's the culture of despisers. And so we need to retreat back. The, the epicenter of, of this <coughs> fundamentalist, fundamentalist movement was uh, the Midwest, it's the South. It's sort of these places that are not acidified. The West Coast, East Coast, that, those are the bad places where, you know, liberalism happens. And so it starts to infect the theology so that city got a bad name. We don't want to be associated. We want to separate. So this idea of separation began to develop. I think it was kind of a survival mechanism because the uh, right now it's very different, right? Uh, um, well, not very different, but a lot has changed, right? Christianity in many ways is now much more respectable in the academia. Um, there's a lot of Christian scholarship, but for a long time, scholarship was bad. You shouldn't Bible only kind of mentality developed. And so it, it, they retreated back into sort of this enclave and then this is how it, we, we got this idea that we're just biding our time waiting for heaven. Mm -hmm. Earth is lost. We're on the Titanic. <coughs> the ship this, is going down. But this view, this is like the traditional... This is the actually view. traditional view, okay. yeah. This, is, this view goes back to Augustine. It goes back to the Reformation. This is the deep classical Christian view. The problem with the, the fundamentalists who sort of like rejected um, um, uh, the modernism and, and liberalism is that they didn't go back to the deep Christian heritage, but they just sort of like said Bible only, and they sort of like pulled out, teased out these very narrow fundamentals, and that's a long story, but mm -hmm. yeah. America by and large is still, the Christians are still fundamentalist. Yeah. There's a tiny, tiny group of people, 
you know, what I'll call like classic Christianity, Reformed Christianity. So it's the Baptist We're the weirdos. School. Huh? So it's the Baptist no. <laughs> no. No, that's not true. Just kidding. <laughs> Let's pray. <laughs> <laughs> Heavenly Father, thank you for this um, lesson um, and this vision that the New Jerusalem awaits us. And I pray that uh, we, are, we can really imbibe that and take that to heart, that we are citizens of New Jerusalem, but that we are for the city of man, that we are for the prosperity, well-being, uh, blessedness of San Francisco, Oakland, um, Castro Valley. I pray that wherever we are, we can be good citizens um, and pray for our neighbors and pray for the city. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you, guys.